Man of Screen. In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Martin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 96 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo. This episode is going to be my penultimate episode of season one coverage of Super Friends. And I'll be covering the episodes, The Mysterious Moles, and Gulliver's Gigantic Goofs. And <clears throat> as I look back on what this first season of Super Friends has been, it's been a little rough, it's been uneven. And I'm looking forward to getting to the end of this season and, you know, covering some different I- you know, incarnations of this show, and I'm looking forward to some of the format changes that took place in later seasons, starting with season two. Even before I get the feedback, I have some bookkeeping items I want to address. The first of which, as you heard at the opening, this is episode 96 of the Man of Screen podcast. And while it may seem that episode 100 is a mere four weeks away, it's uh, going to be a little bit longer than that because I'm going to take a couple weeks off, I'm going to do some movies, and so... Episode 100 is scheduled to hit on June 12th. Now, I know with the uh, 17 Man of Screen extras, the two specials I've done, I've done well over 100 episodes at this point, but I am going to recognize the 100th official episode of the Man of Screen podcast proper. So, what I'm asking you, the listener, to do, I get feedback from some of you, not all, so, you know, write in to me or record me a message, and I'll play that on my 100th episode. You know, offer congratulations, cheap shots, criticisms psychotic hatreds, anything you want to send to me, I will happily play it on my 100th episode. I know I announced this about a month or so ago in the Facebook group, and that initially said then that I would give you until April 20th. You know what, I'll push that back to April 30th, give you an extra few days to get your act together and have, and send that over to me. This show wouldn't still be going if not for the fact that I know there are listeners out there enjoying this even if I don't hear from you. I like to take, use the 100th episode and you kind of use that as an opportunity to hear from you. So don't be shy. Write in or send me a voice message. Let me know what you think of the show. Or even leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll, you know, help me out too. You know, anything to show that you, you know, appreciate what I'm doing, don't appreciate it. You know, like I said, anything you want to say. And I'll be happy to play that as I reach that milestone episode. As I'm approaching that, I just want to thank you all for listening and for hanging with me. Some of you have been with me from the beginning, and others, you know, have come along later. So, I want it known that I appreciate all of you. And, with that said, before I get to any uh, episode coverage tonight, I have the email from the usual email writer, Dave McElvenny. You know, Dave told me he's getting a little lonely as the uh, sole letter writer to the show, so please, I encourage you, write in your comments on these episodes. Some of you, others of you do, but no one is near as, as constant as Dave is. Dave is writing in on episode 86, which seems so long ago I don't even necessarily remember what episodes it was. So anyway, Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I have to agree with your assessment that the Superman segments certainly benefit by having two-part stories with longer times. 
It's a shame that the Superboy segments didn't receive the same treatment, maybe even letting Crypto have a solo adventure. The Team of Terror wasn't really much of a team, was it? As you noted, the Warlock just sort of wandered into and out of this story, and it was pretty much just a pawn of Queen Satana. By the way, I love that her name was Satana, like a feminine form of Satan, just in case we, the viewers, were unsure that she was evil. The Reign of Iron was, to me, just okay, but not excellent. Although we did get a good bit of super action from Superman, I can understand the use of different bald evil scientists rather than Lex Luthor, because the bigwigs at DC were notoriously cautious of overexposing some of their big characters, so maybe that was their thinking with Luthor. King Superboy was nothing great, but it is somewhat interesting to see how Superboy deals with the idea of being treated as a god. Not that this story explored the idea too deeply, but such treatment could be very dangerous when it involves an adolescent with incredible powers. It was also fun to see Crypto indulge his love of having a dragon playmate. Double Trouble Double Doom does give us a Superboy ha that has learned his lesson back in the Great Space Race about checking things out a bit before attacking an unknown alien ship. Other than that, there is not a lot of high-interest plot here, but there is some nice super action, and we do get to see Crypto getting credit at the end of the story. I hope you and your family have a very good Christmas. <laughs> Long and prosper, Dave. The fact that Dave is wishing me a good Christmas just kind of shows how long it takes me to get to his feedback sometimes. I'm recording this episode on March 20th, and uh, Dave is wishing me a good Christmas. Well, thank you, Dave, for your feedback. Uh, I'm sure I, I have exchanged messages with you uh, three plus months, and we did have a good Christmas. I hope you and yours did as well. So, thank you, Dave. I really don't have anything to add, you know. The one thing about the Superman Filmation cartoons that is kind of that I kind of lament is that, you know, for all sets of purposes, the episodes are very forgettable. And even though I covered them and analyzed them probably more than they deserved, the episodes in question really aren't even standing out to me, and I don't really remember them all that much. So, with that being said, I kind of have really nothing to add to Dave's comments. I feel like I should remember the episodes more than I do, but they just you know, don't seem to be that memorable. I hope that's not the case going forward with some of these Super Friends cartoons. So, like to uh, like I said, thank you, Dave, for sending that in. You can uh, join in on the feedback as well manofscreen at gmail.com or you can leave me a review on Apple Podcast and I will read it there as well. So, that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with The Mysterious Moles. Hang around, folks. Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, welcome back, folks. I'm going to start off with The Mysterious Moles. Original broadcast date was December 1st, 1973. Our guest cast included Norman Alden as Colonel Wilcox. Sherry Aberoni as Minimus Mole, Olin Sewell as Maximus Mole, and Casey Kasem as Electric Power Plant Employee. And now for our synopsis brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. While biking in Cave County, Wendy and Marvin believe a tree and boulder have somehow moved, and spot odd tracks as if made by a giant chicken. 
They tell their super friends and when Batman and Robin join to investigate, find the tree and rock gone, and a woman in a nearby home says no tree or rock were ever there. Meanwhile, four buildings have had a roof air conditioning units stolen. The tree and the boulder, and Mr. and Mrs. Mole. I wonder if there's a connection. But when Robin and I went to the clearing, there was no tree and no rock. And when we questioned that housewife, Mrs. Mole, she looked at us like we were out of our minds. Well, the kid's story was rather incredible. Still, Marvin and Wendy have reported weird things in the past, and their stories have turned out to be true. Come to think of it, how come a housewife was dressed in mountain climbing gear? There are no mountains in Cave County. Something fishy about that. I'm going to check the general information computer. We'll see if it coughs up anything about Mr. and Mrs. Moe. Excellent suggestion, Aquaman. Hmm, Maximus Mole and wife Minimus. Both are highly regarded speedlunkers. Cave explorers. That's undoubtedly why they make their home in Cave County. Mr. Mole is a retired professor of speleology. That's the study of caves and caverns. I recall now, I once read a book he wrote about his search for the legendary bottomless cave. Yes, he never found it, but it was his theory that the bottomless cave is located somewhere in Cave County. That explains why she was wearing mountain climbing gear. Right, Robin. A small pick, a coil of rope, pitons. Those same tools are used for exploring caves. Very interesting. But how does spelunking tie in with stolen air conditioners? Colonel Wilcox informs of a unit stolen from a government medical laboratory. Wendy and Marvin go back to the mole house and find the house's a trucking company garage facade on the opposite side and follow new tracks to a hole. The hole leads them into a cave where they follow Minnie and Maximus Mole. Why, that's Mrs. Mole! You sure? <laughs> Who did she say Gazultai to? Someone called Max. Shh. Max, I told you to wear your long underwear. I am wearing it, my dear. Why did you say Gazunite? Because you sneezed. I did? Oh, thank you, dear. Wait a minute, Minnie. I didn't sneeze. Oh, Max, you are so absent-minded. Hold the rope steady. I'm coming down. Did you hear that? Minnie and Max. Remember the men and Max trucking company? Yeah, I think we're on the right track. Shh. Can't we stop and rest for a while? No, Max, we can't. We've got to keep going until we get to Molesville. Molesville? What's that? I guess that's what they call the place they're heading for. I've got to take a break, Minnie. Shh. I'm not a young man anymore. Ha! You never were! You've been old all your life! And forgetful! It's your fault we have to climb down again. You burned out the magneto. The what? The magneto! The motor part that we have to replace in the drill mobile. While we're down there, remind me to refill this bottle with walk water. It's running low. I'll remind you. You'd forget your head if it wasn't fastened to your shoulders. Sometimes I think it isn't. Let's get moving. Yes, my dear. The moles are spelunkers and have found Bottomless Cave, which has an underground world with a lagoon that causes rocks and trees to come alive. Zonkers! Trees and rocks that move by themselves? This is wild! Marvin, this explains what happened to us in that roadside clearing. Huh? Don't you see? When we turned our backs, nobody moved the tree and the boulder. They moved by themselves. <laughs> But how could a tree and a rock from down here get up there? I don't know. 
Right now, the big question is, how are we gonna get ourselves from down here up there? Wendy, let's look for Mr. and Mrs. Mole. Okay, even if we don't find them, we know they came down through a tunnel. Let's look for a tunnel entrance. Come on! The moles are using the lagoon's walk water to animate trees and rocks to steal air conditioning units so they, they can access a crater surrounded by huge diamonds. Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman investigate the moles and find the kids in the underground world, while Superman guards the power plant's new roof cooling unit. The moles cause a distraction and instead steal the plant's dynamo to power their cooling units. When the moles try to escape in their drillmobile, after failing to stop the four heroes and kids underground, Superman, who has been tracking the dynamo theft, arrives to stop them. The only reason we took them was to help these poor trees and rocks. Somehow, I don't think that's the whole story. We were going to pay the original owners. Pay them double. When, Mrs. Mole? Uh, after we got the diamonds. That's not the way it's done, Mrs. Mole. You don't take someone's property without permission and pay later. You caused a great deal of trouble up there. When you discovered this world, why didn't you announce it to the authorities? I wanted to, but... But I wouldn't let him. I was afraid a lot of greedy people would come down here. And steal the diamonds? Yes! I suppose I was the greedy one. I'm... I'm sorry. What's going to happen to us? The authorities will give you a fair hearing. Everything's loaded. Shall we board? What'll we do about this place? It's peaceful and innocent. I think it's best we keep ours and this world separate. If people were to start bringing up walk water from here, imagine the confusion. Rocks and trees moving around on Earth? You're both quite right. I'll seal the upper entrance of the cave. Look at those poor trees fanning themselves. They're in agony. Mr. Mole says if the heat keeps increasing, they'll die out. I'll take care of that, too. Now, let's all get aboard. All right, so here we go. We've got another episode with, well... I guess you could qualify, you could call the moles villains as they're not really trying to change the world in any kind of positive way. This episode is about greed and the evils of greed and I guess the things greed can drive people to do, such as all the effort the moles are putting in to steal the diamonds in the underground world. You know, there's not a lot to this episode, but there is some, you know, decent superhero action, you know as, you know, fighting a bunch of trees and rocks can be. I was not impressed with the way Superman was handled in this episode, as he kind of just sits around and waits for the plot to come to him. He doesn't really do much for a majority of the episode, although he does have a nice uh, comeback in the ending when he kind of has to come back and uh, save the day. So let's get into the uh, nitty-gritty of this episode, shall we? It starts off with a bike ride of Wendy and Marvin. Now they're on separate bikes. If you remember a previous episode, they were on the same bike, kind of riding in tandem. Now they are riding... Separate bikes in Cave County. So just the name of that county itself will give you an idea of where we're going to end up in this episode. So they're on the uh, bike and they find some strange uh, looking footprints, which they describe as to be those of a large chicken. Yeah, because um, I'm buying that. It's kind of a foot with uh, three long toes, so it looks kind of chicken-like. After they uh, look around at the uh, chicken tracks, they uh, find that someone moved their bikes and somehow someone moved the map that... Marvin drew in the sand, but Wendy points out instead that somebody moved the boulder in the tree, and a tree which seems impossible, but that's the only explanation that they can come up with. Nobody can actually move a drawing in the sand, but you know what? Nobody can move rocks and boulders either, so. Right away, uh, Wendy and Marvin, our 
I don't want to call them teen wonders, because that's kind of Robin's handle, and I don't want to insult him by giving them the same moniker that he uses, but here we are, the uh, junior super friends getting into some kind of trouble here. So they go back to the Hall of the Justice League, and they tell the super friends about it, and the super friends are not necessarily buying it, but Batman says he will check it out. I mentioned this before, I kind of feel bad for Batman and Robin, and they seem to end up as the... Uh, Probably because they don't have their own superpowers. They pr- and seem to end up as the uh, designated babysitters for Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. So, now there's some other trouble. as someone is stealing roof air conditioners from uh, some buildings in the city. So, when Wendy and Marvin bring Batman and Robin back to uh, the clearing that they found the tracks is, they find that everything is gone. Except that the house is still there. The rocks and the trees are gone. And so, it's quite obvious that they had, there was a mystery afoot. The uh, house is home to Mr. and Mrs. Maximus Mole, and uh, Mrs. Mole, her name is Minimus, Maximus and Minimus, get it, Maximum Minimum, and Mrs. Mole is not very polite, and she kind of slams the door in everyone's face. Can you imagine slamming the door in Batman's face? I mean, this Batman just kind of seems to take it, but any Batman I'm reading in the comics in modern times probably would kick the door in and uh, give her a piece of his mind, if not, or his batarang, so... As the uh, show fades to black right here and probably goes to a commercial in 1973, I am watching all these episodes without commercials, so I don't always know where the breaks are, but I'm guessing this fade to black here was a commercial break. We have a man telling a tree and a boulder to move along quietly. And the tree is holding an air conditioning unit. I'll bet you didn't know that a tree can hold an air conditioning unit. I certainly did not before this episode aired, but it is holding the AC unit, so... The tree, the moving trees, and the air conditioners, they're all related, as we're going to find out later. So here is Wonder Woman in her teacher mode, showing where the air conditioning units have been stolen from. Batman is back saying they found nothing, and being that absolutely nothing was there, Superman asks if they went to the right place. And they assure him that they have. And this is when Marvin mentions the uh, giant chicken tracks, which apparently weren't mentioned to Batman and Robin earlier. And Batman and Robin kind of wonder why... These things haven't been mentioned. They uh, seem rather important, but apparently they weren't important enough for Wendy and Marvin to remember at the time. So, more blundering about by Wendy and Marvin. So now we get a call from Colonel Wilcox, who is suddenly uh, looking a lot younger, and his gray hair is now black, and his mustache appears to be gone, and he's no longer voiced by uh, John Stevenson, I believe the guy's name was. This episode, he's voiced by Norman Alden, who also voices Aquaman, so... Maybe the actor wasn't available when the voice for this episode was recorded, but or he was sick, I don't know, but for some reason... Or maybe it's supposed to be a different Colonel Wilcox, I don't know. You'd think if they're going to go through the trouble to have a different character, they'd give him a different name. But, either way, this Colonel Wilcox is apparently not the same as the other Colonel Wilcox, who we're going to see again in another episode. So, the air conditioner was stolen off a roof of a lab that is uh, working on a vaccine for next year's epidemic. Apparently in this world, you can plan your uh, flu epidemics and... The one forecast for next year, they're working on the vaccine for it now. So, I don't know a lot about how medicines are developed or how diseases are forecast, but I don't necessarily know that you can know what disease to expect next year. Maybe you can, I don't know. I don't know, maybe you can now and couldn't in 1973, I don't know. But either way, they're working on next year's epidemic. So all of a sudden, they're heading back to the same county that Marvin and Wendy dragged Batman and Robin to. So, as Wendy and Marvin travel, they pass a garage they have never seen before. And when they double back, they pass the garage again. And then they find the map that Marvin drew in the sand, remember? When they were there with Batman and Robin, they couldn't find the map that Marvin drew in the sand. But now the map is back in front of this garage that they've never seen before. Again, strange things are afoot. So they hit a button on the wall in the garage, and we get an interesting view of the building kind of taking on multiple shapes, including the uh, Mole's house from before. And basically what we're going to find is that 
the house rotates. One side is the garage, uh, the Minimax garage, and the other side is the uh, front door to the house. Meanwhile, the Batman and Robin are investigating the air conditioning theft. It's uh, too big for them, and we go back to Wendy and Marvin, who are following uh, giant tracks to a downed tree. But the downed tree reveals a hole, and they go down into the into the cave, and apparently Marvin has chalk on him to uh, mark the trail. While they're doing that, the Super Friends are using super brain power to solve the mystery of the missing air conditioners. Yeah, that's it. Is that a superpower, super brain power? Where I come from, it's just called thinking and figuring it out. I don't necessarily know that you need super brain power to do that, but apparently they do. While the super friends are using super brain power, the kids are using super feet power, and they are investigating a cave, and they end up in Bottomless Cave. That is not a cave that I want any part of. When I go down underground, you know, in the few times that I do, I like there to be a bottom. I really don't want to go any place that's bottomless. So now we see Mrs. Mole, who was lowering Max down a rope, and now Marvin makes a connection to the trucking company, Minnie and Max. So, but they're going to Molesville, which is completely foreign to both uh, Wendy and Marvin. They have never heard of Molesville, and you shouldn't, because Molesville is deep underground. The one thing Minnie Mole is good at is berating Max, who apparently somehow destroyed the drill and the and the uh, Molemobile. So, it's, the episode is making it seem like the older man Max here is a useless one. I'm guessing they're a couple, a husband and wife perhaps, but Mrs. Mole is definitely acting as though she's the one running the show. Meanwhile, the Super Friends are still thinking, and they're doing a lot of thinking in this episode. And Wonder Woman knows about Bottomless Cave, and, uh... Let's assume Mr. and Mrs. Mole have discovered Bottomless Cave. Now let's say they've explored it to a depth that's too warm for comfort. You think they stole the air cooling units to cool off the cave so they can continue their exploration. But that leaves three mystifying questions. One, how could a middle-aged couple by themselves remove huge machines from factory rooftops? Two... How could they carry them down through the treacherous, winding caves? And three, where would they get electric power to run those machines five miles below the surface? Those are puzzlers. Still, it's a fact that all the thefts took place within a few miles of their home. And there's that weird report from the kids about the tree and the rock. That occurred here, directly across the road from the Mole House. Yes, and the kids have gone back there to check out those giant chicken tracks they claim they saw. Holy humble pie! Marvin and Wendy may be onto something after all. And it's possible they may be heading into trouble. We'd better get back to Cave County. I'll go with you. Count me in. Coming, Superman? No, I'm going to check out a theory of my own. The biggest and most powerful air conditioning unit in this area is on the roof of the Power and Electric Company. A tempting prize. We all better get moving. If you're looking at Superman's cape, uh, his yellow S seems to have disappeared right off of it. I guess they forgot to animate it in this one shot. Now, Wonder Woman is suggesting that the moles need the air conditioning units to uh, cool a cave five minute miles underground. The Super Friends know that the uh, kids are in Cave County, because where else would you have a cave except for in Cave County? And the Super Friends, with the exception of Superman, go to save the kids. Superman is going to check on the world's largest air conditioner. Let me repeat that, because it sounds mildly important. Everyone except Superman is going to save the, the kids. Superman is going to guard a piece of equipment. Little does he know that that piece of equipment is going to end up bringing him where he should have gone in the first place. And now we get to the part of the episode where Superman basically sits on his cape, waiting for something to happen. So Minnie and Max have found Molesville, and it's a whole new ecosystem with plants and even some prehistoric-looking creatures. I might have spotted a dinosaur or two. Kind of reminds me of the uh, Journey to uh, Center of the Earth movies that were pretty to look at, but overall not very good. So, now we know what the moles are after. Diamonds. 
And the problem is, it's too hot for them to get to. So they need to fix the drill mobile so that they can get the air conditioners down to the cave. You know, Wonder Woman had already guessed it. They need the air conditioning units to cool the cave five miles underground. And now we can see the uh, volcanic area that they need to cool down so they can get their diamonds. Of course, there's no power that far underground, so... It's not like you can run a lead cord all the way up to the surface, so... Superman might be in for a little bit of a surprise while he's sitting on his butt waiting for an air conditioner to get stolen. And we also find out now how the trees can move on their own. Apparently the water in Molesville basically brings inanimate objects to life. We've really only seen it on boulders and trees, but... I guess it'll bring any inanimate object that it finds to life. So as they're driving, the uh, super friends see Superman flying on his way to the power plant, and they just kind of wave at him, and this gives Robin an opportunity to comment on how flying is better than traffic. Yes, flying would be better to, better than sitting in traffic, but really only when you have a destination. Superman doesn't really have a destination that's going to bring him anywhere useful. The uh, other super friends are going to do all the useful stuff on their own, and not necessarily succeed either. So Superman is expecting the thieves to take the acquisitioner, so he takes a seat and waits for them to steal it. However, Max and Minnie are approaching from below. Minnie Mole continues to uh, bark orders at Max, you know. And now uh, we know how the surface trees start to move. Max waters them with the water from Molesville and brings the trees to life. So basically what they do is they go down to Molesville, they fill up a watering can filled with the uh, water of life, so to speak, and that's how we're bringing trees and rocks to life. That might be interesting, but we still don't know what created the large chicken tracks that the kids spotted at the beginning of the episode. I'm not necessarily sure this episode is going to resolve that. Maybe the chicken tracks were caused by one of the tree roots, I'm not sure. So in the cave, at the first sign of something scary, Wonder Dog is terrified. Which, you know, I've mentioned that Wonder Dog and Marvin remind me a lot of Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. And being scared of everything is definitely a Scooby-Doo attribute. And now, uh, you know, Max, though, he, you know, compared to his wife, Max has a bit of a conscience. He is upset about stealing the air conditioners. And uh, Minnie seems to think that they're borrowing them. But her logic doesn't really work. I mean... Are they planning on giving these air conditioners back? You know, borrowing is not the same as taking. When you take something without permission, you're stealing it. You're not borrowing it. Even if you intend to give it back, borrowing hinges on permission being given. You know, if you go into somebody's house and you take something without permission, you know, it's still stealing even if you intend to give it back. You know, if you're going to take something out of uh, that's not yours, for all you kids out there, if there are any kids listening to this, if you take something that's not yours, ask permission first. You know, some people say it's easier to ask forgiveness than for permission. Bull. If you're going to take something that's not yours, ask first. Because if you don't, you're stealing. Well, the super friends show up at the garage while Superman is sitting on his ass waiting for the air conditioners to be stolen. So Robin hits the button and turns the building around. So the super friends have found the chicken tracks and they're tracking those. And meanwhile, Wendy and Marvin are kind of running underground. So they decide that they're going to go back to Molesville and hope Minnie and Max will help them find their way back to the surface. They don't know of uh, the Moles' greedy plot, so they just assume that they're going to be willing to help them. They're going to be in for a bit of a surprise. Superman is still sitting at the power plant. Superman sees uh, Max watering the rocks by the power plant, but since, you know, he's in the mountains wearing mountain gear, Superman thinks nothing of it. I guess if he was watering the rocks and the trees in a three-piece suit, Superman would have been a little bit more concerned. But anyway, Max talks to the rocks, tells them to wait a half hour. I guess he doesn't want uh, the rocks to be getting up as soon as he finishes watering them. But And uh, by the way, during this moment, Superman comments that he hopes he isn't wasting his time. Well, you've wasted a lot of time in this episode, Superman. You can always not waste time. But this is definitely a choice on your part. And you're about to be wrong. So the kids find Molesville and are snagged by the trees before going over the edge of a waterfall. And... They don't go over the edge of the waterfall. They're grabbed by the trees. <laughs> it's kind of funny. They gleefully thank the trees for saving them. And Marvin shakes a, shakes a leaf to uh, 
show his gratitude toward this palm tree that is somehow growing five miles beneath the earth. I guess it's some kind of geothermic reaction. I believe that's the right word. That's uh, providing heat for to this uh, underground ecosystem. You know, and uh, Wendy and Marvin see that all the trees are moving, and apparently one has an itch and a scratching itself. So this leads Wendy to realizing the trees and the rocks move themselves. And when I mean that, I'm talking about the rocks up on the surface, as these trees and rocks are moving up all by themselves as well. But they're still looking for the moles, and, and they're going to look for a tunnel entrance, and Marvin kind of goes up in one of the trees and, uh, and looks, and <laughs> Marvin feels uncomfortable of just climbing the tree. So he asks the tree for permission, and the tree willingly obliges him. So now they're seeing something even more fantastic as, this is kind of funny, as uh, something from the water is grabbing the tree. So Marvin summons the rocks to help and they bounce on this yellow tentacle until it goes away. And apparently the creature has other ideas as it just sends another tentacle after the tree. And this is when the uh, rest of the super friends show up and Aquaman dives into the water and we see this creature that trying to wrestle down the tree and it seems pretty strong and almost elastic. And while he's kind of fighting by the tree, Aquaman you know, ties his tentacles together. Because, you know, why not? Hopefully the thing doesn't have any more. So Aquaman finds this yellow creature, and it's an interesting shaped creature. It has, it has the two tentacles that it was using to mess around with the tree. And the rest of it is like a yellow fish with, fin, with, a, with fins on the other side. So I guess it's supposed to remind me of some kind of prehistoric creature, or even alien creature. But Aquaman can talk to it telepathically and ask why it's pulling the tree. All right, you big overgrown what's it? Yes, I can talk to you telepathically. Why are you pulling that tree? Just having fun, eh? A little harmless mischief? You know you frightened that tree? Now raise your right hand and promise you won't do it again. Okay, okay. All right, I'll untie you. Now remember your promise. And, you know, it's young and it's mischievous, you know, it's just having fun. You know, I guess sea critters will be sea critters. And uh, the tree is grateful after, uh, so basically Aquaman tells the fish creature to leave the tree alone and not to play with the tree like that. And the tree is uh, showing its gratitude by shaking Aquaman's hand. And then the heroes find the diamonds, and this gives uh, Wonder Woman a chance to give a lesson on how diamonds are forged. Hey! Look what I found! Isn't it pretty? Great guns, it's a diamond! Look, the ground out there is covered with them. I'll bet they once came up out of that crater. You know, diamonds are formed when carbon compounds are put under tremendous heat and pressure. They probably came from far below this very spot. Well, it's too hot out there for anyone to get them now. All right, everyone, let's move on. So, there's that. While the heroes are having their fun, underground, Superman is still sitting by the air conditioner when he sees rocks rolling down a hill by themselves. I'm not necessarily sure if they're rolling downhill, but I guess if they were, Superman wouldn't nearly have been in so much shock, but it does appear as though the rocks are rolling down in formation, so maybe that trumps the fact that they appear to be rolling downhill. So Superman digs a trench for them to fall into, and we see this is a distraction as the Drillmobile shows up and takes the dynamo generator, which provides power to the power plant, and the moles are going to use it to power the uh, air conditioners. You know, since there's no electricity down on the ground, they'll need something that runs, you know, independently of electricity that can generate it. And this will give them enough power to cool off the area around the diamonds so they can get to it without burning up. So the heroes find the air conditioners, and Wonder Woman is bringing the brains in this episode, and she determines the air conditioners are to cool the area so they can steal the diamonds, like I just said. So Minnie Mole orders the trees to attack the super friends, and Wonder Woman tells them they're listening to the wrong people. So trees and rocks are going to end up confused. 
It might have been a little funny for the kids if the rocks kind of trees and the rocks went you know back and forth for maybe a minute before eventually attacking the Super Friends. But that doesn't happen. Robin comments that he wishes Superman were there, and meanwhile, Superman is following the drill's trail. We know where the drill went, so it's pretty obvious to us that Superman is going to finally join the party on the ground. It might have been more of a surprise when we see Superman later, maybe if they didn't show this clip of Superman following the drill. But, kid audience, we have to spell everything out for them. So here is Batman running like a ro- running on a rock, and they're sending him spinning like bowling pins. Robin is acting like a bullfighter with a rock, and Aquaman is fighting a tree. All the things you've been dying to see in a super in a Justice League comic, I'm sure. Like the tr- like watching the uh, tree rodeo. And now, despite having told the yellow fish creature not to mess with the trees, now he's telling it to do so. And this tree must be getting confused too. First he can mess with the tree, now he can't. I'll bet I'll bet that thing is wishing Aquaman would just make up his mind. So the mole was taking advantage of the distraction and but and a retreating from the tunnel and nope. Here Superman, who spent the whole episode wasting time, shows up at the last minute to save the day. And uh, that's enough to convince the brash mini mole to surrender. She'll mess with the other super friends, but once Superman shows up, it's over. You know, I was half expecting her to set the trees and rocks on him too, but nope. As this episode winds down, Superman is loading the air conditioners onto the drillmobile with help of the trees. But Minnie is going to uh, confess, and she's sorry. I found it hysterical to think that she was worried about greedy people exploiting Molesville when she was going to do the same thing herself. You know, she wanted to keep away the greedy people that wasn't her, so, so that she could keep all of the uh, diamonds for herself. So, apparently, it is still too hot in Molesville for everything to eventually survive. I'm guessing they're figuring the heat's going to eventually build up and kill all the trees and the creatures that live down there. So what happens is, Superman will bring some cold air from Antarctica down, and then he'll seal up the hole, and Molesville will be kept separate from the surface world for all time. And uh, the episode ends with uh, Superman, you know, flying away. Again, not a great episode. This episode teaches uh, kids about the evils of greed, so there's that. Greed is bad, and it can lead you to do some stuff that you'll regret. It also teaches you don't mess with Superman, but what strikes me about some of these episodes is the means some of these people go to to fulfill their goals. I mean, Minnie's and Max's goal is to probably to get rich, and they're doing all kinds of machinations just to uh, get rich. How much money did they have to spend to create that drillmobile? How much did it cost them to, to perform the caper that? How much would it have cost them? And, and how much would the diamonds have fetched them to make it worthwhile? I will never have an answer to that. So it's best to take a break, play a podcast promo, and then come back with Gulliver's Gigantic Goofs. Hang around, folks. everybody, Magnus here. At Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But mostly it's comics. And starting in February 2018, I'm launching a mega series that's all about Batman comics. And right now, you're probably saying, but Magnus, but Magnus, does this have anything to do with that new Batman movie that may or may not be coming soon? Why, yes. Yes, it does. I plan to talk about a crapload of Batman comics, and I want you riding along in the Batmobile with me. This 
is The Caped Crusades, a 24-part mega-series all about Batman comics that have meant a lot to me for a lot of years now. And as I work through all of that, I'll also talk about what I personally consider to be Batman's series finale. All that and more is part of The Caped Crusades, a 24-part Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega-series. Be there in February 2018. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found at twotruefreaks.com as well as iTunes. Alright, welcome back folks. I'm going to finish things off with Gulliver's Gigantic Goofs. Original broadcast date was December 8th, 1973. Guest cast is John Stevenson, back as Colonel Wilcox, and properly animated, I might add, in this episode. Norman Alden is the flight controller. Olin Sewell is Astronaut Ellis. Casey Kasem plays Dr. Gulliver. Danny Dark plays Dr. Curum. Casey Kasem plays Private Smith. Norman Alden is the air traffic control man. John Stevenson is the jet cargo 847 pilot. Norman Alden is Mr. Vanderbulch, Olin Sewell plays James, Shannon Farnan is Julia, and Norman Alden plays Green Arrow, who is making his television debut in this episode. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Dr. Hiram Gulliver decides to solve the problem of increasing, increasing population by shrinking all adults to two inches tall. He demonstrates his sonic microwave reducer by shrinking the people at a space center just before a ship is scheduled to leave for Mars, and next at Harbor City. He then sends his reducer in a balloon gondola toward another city, where Batman and Robin intercept it. They get shrunk when trying to sabotage the device, and Gulliver has them return to his castle hideout. Golly, Batman, where are we? You are at the castle of Dr. Hiram Gulliver. A castle in America? A family heirloom. I had it shipped piece by piece from England to the United States. But what about the balloon? It's mine, Batman. Then you're the one responsible for... That's right. But you just can't go around shrinking people. Can't I? Jump for it, Robert. With the device sabotaged, Gulliver sets traps using a hand device to shrink Superman, then Aquaman, and then Wonder Woman. In the other room. Wonder Woman, he got you too. Now, what do you plan to do with this, Gulliver? Why, nothing. Just keep you out of my hair until I can complete my task. You see here my ultimate invention. I only lack the final ingredient, a star sapphire large enough to insert in the crystal transformer. With that, I'll be able to use all the radios and televisions in the world to broadcast my miniaturizing microwave beams. Everyone on the entire Earth will be shrunk down to two inches. I'll be a world-renowned hero. With the heroes captured, Gulliver next steals a star sapphire. Warned by Wonder Woman using her lasso via telepathy, Wendy and Marvin witness Gulliver's theft. Gulliver uses the sapphire to power a new producer, which uses radio and television signals to shrink adults around the world. Wendy and Marvin summon Green Arrow from, from Bornego, and their radio message causes him to shrink. Superman has used his X-ray vision to cause Gulliver's device to send a coded message. The SDI screen! It must be Colonel Wilcox. Green Arrow, am I glad to see you. I wish I could say the same, Colonel Wilcox. Where are you? Here! I must see you as soon as possible. People in every nation on the face of the earth have now been reduced to two inches high. 
I'll be there right away. Wonder Dog, how about a lift? Hey, wait for us! At the research laboratory. Well, why couldn't you warn the people? We did. We broadcast a warning on every radio and television set in the world. And while people were listening to our warning, they were shrunk. Little did we realize at the time that the microwave miniaturization beams were being transmitted over radio and TV. What about that Dr. Gulliver, Colonel Wilcox? Have you located him yet? We haven't been able to get a bearing on him yet, Wendy. But it's only a matter of time. Green Arrow, the reason I asked you to come here was to listen to the mysterious microwave beam in our frequency filter. Here, do you hear that interference? Hmm, yes. Our best decoders can't figure it out. It's definitely not Morse code. You're right, Colonel Wilcox. It's not Morse code. It's the secret signal code of the Justice League. This is a message from Superman. Superman! Great. What does it say? L-O-N. Longitude. He's giving us his location. Longitude 87, latitude 33. You can depend on Superman. I knew he wouldn't let us down. Let's see. Latitude 33. There it is. And here is longitude 87. Say, that's not too far from the Mars launch site, where the first people were shrunk. And I'll bet, Colonel Wilcox, that's where we'll find this mysterious Dr. Gulliver. And that's where we'll find the super friends, too. Well, we better get there immediately. <laughs> I'm sorry, kids, but it may be dangerous. Well, what can we do? We've got to help our friends. I've got it. Wonder Woman's invisible plane. It'll take us right to her. But we don't even know how to fly. Come on! Green Arrow learns of the message from Colonel Wilcox and finds Gulliver's castle. He frees the heroes, and Wonder Woman summons her plane, which happens to have Wendy and Marvin inside. Superman uses an idea of Marvin's to reverse the device's effect to restore everyone. Well, Dr. Gulliver, now that you've been shrunk like everyone else, you must see things in a little different perspective. I don't like it, I must admit, but that makes no difference. That doesn't change the fact that the Earth is still overpopulated and that my concept solves the problem. Dr. Gulliver, no person, even if he means well, has the right to impose his will on everyone else. You're going to have to return everyone in the world to normal size. No, I won't do it! Besides, I don't know how. You don't know how? Holy permanent press! You must have an antidote. No, no, I don't. I never thought it would be necessary to undo my great work. We've got to do something. None of us wants to stay this size all of his life. Yes, I don't think I could get used to super friends who are smaller than I am. It just doesn't seem right. Zergers, it's kind of like looking at you through the wrong end of a telescope. Say, that's a great idea. If I reverse the telescope, then you'll look normal-sized again. Wait a minute, Marvin. That is a great idea. It is? Yes. If I can switch a few of the wires in that machine around and get it to run backwards, it may reverse the shrinking process. It's certainly worth a try. There. I think this time it'll work. Let's give it a try. Superman, you're making a big mistake. Think of all the overcrowded cities all over the world. I'm sorry, Dr. Gulliver, but there's got to be a better way than shrinking people. <laughs> Wendy, Marvin, reverse the controls. Hey, fantastic. It works. The world will return to... Wait a minute. Something's wrong. Holy Jack and the Beanstalk. 
We're getting too big! Wendy, Marvin, pull the lever back a little. Well, now that you're back to normal, I hope you're satisfied. Not quite, Dr. Gulliver. Your little invention has caused a lot of damage. You're going to have to see that everything's returned to normal again. Well, I'll put my mind to it and see what I can do. I'm afraid, Dr. Gulliver, that the court will decide what it is you'll do. Okay, here is another episode uh, with uh, a villain who is trying to do something good for the world. Dr. Hiram Gulliver is uh, trying to tackle world overpopulation, and he's trying to tackle it by shrinking humans and vehicles and just about anything else he can find. I mean, stands to reason that a two-inch-tall person doesn't need to eat as much as a six-foot person. A car of similar scale doesn't need the same amount of gasoline as a full-size car, so... So that logic, while it sounds good in concept and on paper, doesn't really work in a realistic fashion. So, I mean, just think about it. Yeah, granted, you might shrink everybody who down to two inches tall, but the rest of the world is far too big for them now. So, so Dr. Gulliver's meddlings in these size of people is going to, you know, get him into some trouble with the law as we uh, pour through this episode. Which starts out as we're counting down to a mission to Mars. Aquaman must be launching into space, because that voice is clearly Norman Alden, who seems to be, out of all the voice actors in this show, the one who does the most, uh, multiple voices. I don't know. Him, Olin Sewell, and Casey Kasem seem to do the most, uh, extra voices, but... And it's weird, because I don't necessarily hear, you know, Batman's voice when... when Olin Sewell does other voices, but Norman Alden doesn't seem to have nearly as much range, and I hear Aquaman every time Alden plays a different character. So the Super Friends are watching on TV while Marvin is trying to uh, walk on stilts. It doesn't seem like a, a good time to be doing this. Um, you know, especially back in 1973, America would stop when a space shuttle was about to be launched. It was a pretty big thing, you know. Even me, I would always try to you know watch a space shuttle launch on TV whenever I had an opportunity. You know, one of my regrets from about eight years ago when I was down in uh, Orlando visiting my buddy Tom. Or not that he was in Orlando, he was just outside the city. But it would have been cool to see one of those last... Uh, shuttle launches from wherever we were able to see it from, but let's just say we didn't get up in time to go do that. But um, Marvin should leave the stilts at home and maybe reconsider trying out for the basketball team. Just saying. So here's an ugly-looking guy at a castle, which is basically surrounded by water, and he looks appropriately villainous with his uh, many machines here. He's going to try his machine, and it launches a balloon, and it interferes with the launch as everyone seems to disappear. And now we see uh, Colonel Wilcox, who is back to looking normal in this episode, and he is uh, back to being voiced by uh, John Stevenson after Norman Alden seemed to have did it in the last episode. And he tells the Super Friends to check out what happened to the rocket as everyone disappears. And my big question here is, basically, Wilcox just told the Super Friends what happened. Why is Superman even still there? The moment that signal cut out, he should have been on his way. Instead of waiting for the government stooge to give him his orders. So as they go to rescue uh, the rocket, Wonder Woman studies the tower. Batman and Robin turn off the fuel line and uh, Superman brings in the capsule with the astronauts. Batman and Robin, you know, in their efforts get caught in a fire and Aquaman tries to put it out. While Superman tosses the rocket into space. And what we find out is that everyone got shrunk to two inches tall. So apparently our villain uh, at first makes it seem as though he's going to shrink everyone who laughed at him. And we're going to find out down the road, not necessarily in this scene, but we're going to find out that Gulliver is going to shrink everybody. And as everybody's getting shrunk, uh, down goes a plane because the operator is too small to pilot it, and Superman saves that. Wonder Woman is chasing a runaway train, and she stops them with some kind of energy that emits from her hands. I don't know, some kind of 
tactile telekinesis or something. I don't know what this is. This is not a superpower I've ever seen Wonder Woman manifest. But I guess it helps make it a little bit more believable that Wonder Woman can stop two trains uh, on a dime without causing a derailment. That's... I might add that. You know, you see it in all kinds of uh, older comics. Superman stopping vehicles. You know, kind of dead in their tracks without causing uh, the vehicle to be crunched. So, And in the next scene, I see something I hoped I would never see because I didn't cover the Aquaman filmation cartoons. Here is Aquaman on the flying fish. You know that gif you see of uh, Aquaman with uh, two of his feet on a flying fish and him holding reins to one in the, in the middle, in the front? Three flying fish. Here's where that scene came from. And I thought that was filmation, but it's not. And mind you, this is after this series has already shown us a majestic shot of Aquaman riding a seahorse, which is great. Here are the flying fish jet skis. And if you ask me, this is the one shot that is the reason no one takes Aquaman seriously. So, note to uh, Super Friends creators from 40 plus years ago less flying fish water skis and more seahorses hopefully my voice reaches 45 years in the past and gets that to happen so next we see aquaman saving a sub and again aquaman does nothing he uses his abilities to compel the sea life to do the work for him you know because his body can handle the pressure of the deep ocean aquaman has super strength but instead he's having blowfish push the sub up and it's dragged by a stingray. So Superman has found out that everyone has been shrinking, and Robin comes out with the not-at-all-offensive leaping leprechauns. <laughs> what characters can say on TV back then is far different from what they could say now. I'm sure there would be some uh, pro-Irish group that would be horribly uh, offended at the phrase leaping leprechauns, but in 1973, you could say that. So as usual, the uh, government scientist knows nothing, just that it doesn't sh- affect animals, and that a balloon was seen by the shrinkages. So Batman and Robin are tracking the balloon, and... It's got a machine on it, which I presume is what does the shrinking. And guess what? They end up shrinking Batman and Robin, and they end up running around inside the machine's mechanism in an attempt to turn it off. So in their small state, Batman and Robin are vulnerable to minor things like an air cannon, and now they're in the machinery doing the kinds of things you would expect the Atom to do. And in what I thought was a hilarious moment, Batman's cape gets caught in some gears. You know, kind of like that old uh, joke about a cape... uh, getting eaten by gears and killing the hero. For those of you who've seen The uh, the Incredibles, the Pixar film, of which there's a sequel coming out soon that I'm quite looking forward to, one of the rules from... I forgot what that little woman character's name was, but she had one rule. No capes! And then, to justify her point, they showed tons of examples of, of capes doing in their wearers, including some guy whose cape got caught in a jet engine and got sucked right in. Kind of graphic for a Pixar film, but anyway... Yeah, it's amusing seeing that happened to Batman. But Batman, you know, he ends up not shredded. Robin uh, gets it, gets the cape free, and it's remarkably not torn at all. So they wreck the gear, and Batman and Robin are delivered to Doctor Gulliver's castle. I remember, I don't remember if it was Batman or Robin. It was one of the two that were quite impressed with the fact that Doctor Gulliver's family castle was brought to the United States. When showing his commitment to his castle, Hiram Gulliver had it sent over piece by piece and rebuilt in America. So, great, good fan. Must have cost him a pretty penny to do that. So, Batman and Robin run away from Gulliver, and they outrun him. Shouldn't he be able to catch them rather easily as his steps cover far more ground than Batman and Robin should? Remember, they're two inches tall. Gulliver should be able to take one or two steps and catch up with them, as he can cover far more ground. Eventually, he sucks up Batman and Robin in a vacuum cleaner, and he puts them in jars. 
and he's going to fill a jar with each member of the Justice League, because they then they won't be able to stop him from saving the world. If he shrinks everybody, they're probably not going to be able to do anything about it anyway, but more on that later. In fact, I'll just start a collection of bottles, and each one will be filled with a different member of the Justice League. But why? Because you and your super friends are all that stands between me and immortality. Immortality? Yes, Batman. With all of you out of the way, no one will be able to stop me from saving the world. Saving the world? From what? I, Dr. Hiram Gulliver, have solved one of the universe's biggest problems, the population explosion. You mean... Exactly. By shrinking the people of the Earth, there will be more of everything for everybody. For instance, there will be more food to eat. Look, for me, this is just one mouthful of peanuts. But for you two, it's enough food to live on for a month. But, Dr. Gulliver... You see this toy car? A car this size would require only a drop of gasoline instead of gallons. Think of it. Parks and beaches and playgrounds will never again be overcrowded. The world will once again be beautiful when all of mankind is reduced to the more economical, convenient, handy two-inch size. And I, Dr. Gulliver, responsible, the world will thank me. You expect gratitude for your arrogance, Dr. Gulliver? The world will condemn you. You'll never get away with this, Dr. Gulliver. The Justice League of America will stop you. Ha! The Justice League of America will be reduced to ineffectiveness. One by one, they'll join the two of you on my trophy shelf. Come, Igor. I have a plan to capture Superman. So like I mentioned before, he's shrinking everyone to basically solve overpopulation. I wonder if he's going to shrink cities, otherwise the world will be vastly too big for people. And I'm also wondering if he's going to shrink himself or if he's just going to remain, uh, I don't know, maybe he's about 5'10", but 5'10 is monstrous next to an adult that's two inches tall. So now he has a plan to catch Superman. He creates a back signal in the clouds and Superman follows it to some snow-covered mountains. And Superman is fooled into seeing Batman and Robin in a runaway minecart. You would think he would have noticed that they were uh, blow-up heroes, but Superman winds up getting shrunk by Dr. Gulliver. And you would think Superman would have gotten out of the way of the shrinking, uh device, but he doesn't. He just kind of stands there and is reduced in size. I don't even want to tackle how this how this humanly device can affect Superman, so I'm just not going to question it. I'm just going to roll with it, because what choice do I have? But Superman does try to escape, and it's kind of funny watching Superman escape a pile of snow and Gulliver's net. But Igor, who is uh, Dr. Gulliver's cat, throws a snowball and then Gulliver nets Superman, who for some reason can't get out of the net. You would think super strength or heat vision would take care of that. And then Gulliver makes this series' second reference to the Dodgers. If you remember in a previous episode, we heard a radio call of a Dodgers-Mets game over the radio. So somebody in this who's producing this show is a Dodgers fan. Here's Aquaman's trap. A boat is trapped on a water spout, but it's uh, Dr. Gulliver and his seasick cat. Now apparently now Aquaman has a water ski, and he just sits there while Gulliver runs his yap and shrinks Aquaman. And that was rather lame. And if you're Aquaman, you know, the king of the seven seas who can swim at ridiculous speeds, why would you have a motor jet ski? For some questions, there are no answers. And I'm thinking now that if Wendy and Marvin are going to save the day, I'm going to throw up. Remember, when I made the notes for this episode, I had not seen it. So, I'm getting frustrated with this episode as it goes on, as you can see. Superman tries to escape by pushing the glass jar off of the shelf, but apparently it's shatterproof. I could use some shatterproof glass in my own kitchen. I I drop far too many glasses and lose things that lose them that way. So now we have an expositionary letter to uh, get Wendy and Marvin out of the way. 
And this leaves Wonder Woman at the Hall of the Justice League alone, and apparently Gulliver is going to sucker Wonder Woman with Igor. So, Igor will pose as kind of a straight cat outside, and Wonder Woman will take it in, uh, feeds it to uh, some milk, and gets shrunk by the cat. Apparently, this device is so easy that Gulliver's cat knows how to use it. And then the cat shrinks Wonder Woman, and she falls into a ball of milk. And at this point, my brain is rattling around in my head as I shake at disbelief. So now that everyone is shrunk, Dr. Gulliver is going to use a device powered by a star sapphire, which may or not be a nod to uh, Green Lantern lore. I know that the first appearance of Carol Ferris, who went on to become a Star Sapphire, was in 1959. I'm not sure when she made her first appearance as Star Sapphire off the top of my head, but it could be a reference to Green Lantern lore. I'm not going to say that it is, but I'm also not going to say that it isn't. So now, uh, Wendy and Marvin are at the Hall of the Justice League on their own as the lasso comes to life and scares the hell out of Wonder Dog. And right now, I'm looking at the clock, and I can't believe this episode has 20 minutes left. And this is the point where I was really doubting whether or not I was going to make it. But don't worry, I did. Somehow. Wonder Woman had to also warn them about the Vanderbilt Star Sapphire, which is apparently uh, the most powerful diamond in the world. So here is Mr. Vanderbilt, who looks like Hugh Hefner with his red smoking jacket. And Doug Gulliver tries to steal the Star Sapphire, but is uh, caught behind some kind of anti-intruder cage, and but still acts as though he has everything under control. He shatters the glass and steals the gem, and he gets away after shrinking everyone. Which leaves Vanderbulge screaming after Gulliver yelling about how big a man he is, but Gulliver just shrugs him off and, as he's only two inches tall. If Gulliver really wanted to, he could have uh, stepped on Vanderbulge and turned him into a splat. But in the kid's cartoon in 1973, they can't do that. You can say leaping leprechauns, but you can't show any violence. Back at the castle, Superman suggests that Gulliver should shrink himself too, but nope. It's his idea, so he gets to implement it. He does not need to be shrunk. He will remain full size. Which, I guess, is a good perk if you can get it. So here are the kids, uh, feeling helpless. Which, is how they should feel, because for the most to- most part, they are helpless. And the interesting reversal here is, for a change, they didn't get caught. Everybody else did. And they think about who they can call next, but apparently, all of the other Justice Leaguers are on a space mission. Except for Green Arrow who, like I mentioned in the opening of this episode, of this sequence, that is making his first appearance on television. Up until this time, Green Arrow had been limited to the comics since the 40s. We'll see more of Green Arrow way down the road when I get to Justice League Unlimited. And he's described as a staunch member of the Justice League. So staunch that they never use him on this show. So here's Green Arrow rescuing people from giant ants, which sounds like a solid use of his time. But these people have been shrunk as well, and they need to save, be saved from the ants because the ants are... Bigger than they are. Those of you who have seen the uh, old movie, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids from either the late 80s or the early 90s. I don't know the year that movie came out off the top of my head. But remember, when the kids were trapped down on the lawn, they befriended an ant, which was bigger than they were. By the way, how would you like to be the only person not asked to go on the space mission? Green Arrow's not acting like it bothers him, but I guess uh, even the main Justice League didn't go on the space mission either. So maybe this underlines Green Arrow's importance. He's too important to leave Earth for this space mission. Yeah, let's go with that. Otherwise, they just called him because there was nobody else, which is kind of demeaning to Green Arrow. So Wendy and Marvin are calling him not because of his skills are needed, but because no one else is available. And he and Wendy and Marvin are calling him, and as they're talking over the radio, Green Arrow is shrunk as well, making him useless and under attack by ants. So now he's have to do some quick fancy footwork to uh, get away. He first gets rid of some ants by uh, throwing a penny at them and knocks them off the car. But he escapes the ants by launching a flying arrow off his jeep into the air. And to combine with the antenna of the car, which he uses to give him some spring power, 
he actually used his arrow to kind of launch him into the air and bringing the people he rescued uh, to the proper authorities. So clearly the world, is, the world is not designed for people to be this small. But now the cartoon says Superman focuses his X-ray vision on the machine and he's using this to send a message. I'm not sure how exactly Superman is sending a message to his X-ray vision. Maybe he is blinking Morse code at the, at the device. I don't know. The animation really isn't up to being able to show us that. But it tells us Superman is sending a message. We have to assume he's sending a message. It's okay. So Green Arrow shows up in the Hall of the Justice League in all of his shrunken glory. And apparently he rode that arrow all the way from Africa to the United States in record time. I'm not sure how an arrow can clear the ocean, but it can. With everybody shrunk, there are certainly no planes flying. And it seems though like everyone on Earth has been shrunk except Wendy and Marvin. And it's also hard not to hear Aquaman's voice when Green Arrow talks. And you want to know how the world was shrunk? Apparently, they were shrunk by waves sent over the TV signal. And that's how Green Arrow was shrunk. But for some reason, when the Marvin weren't shrunk, I guess they didn't watch any TV that day. So Wilcox is picking up interference, but Green Arrow deciphers it as a call from Superman. Maybe Superman did send Morse code, and he's figuring that out. So Green Arrow tells the kid that it, to stay home because it's dangerous, but they're going to steal Wonder Woman's plane and help out anyway. When Green Arrow gets to the castle, he sends out a paper boat made of newspaper and scales the wall, Batman 66 style, and he finds the Justice League. And Superman has an idea, and Green Arrow uses a tuning fork to shatter the jars, and the tiny heroes tie up Gulliver, and Wonder Woman summons her plane, where the kids are trying to use the plane, get, trying to get the plane to move. Marvin is sitting there saying, Take us to Wonder Woman, when the plane starts moving. And of course, you know, because the plane moves while... Marvin is sitting there saying, Take us to Wonder Woman. Because that's happening, the kids think that they're in control of this plane somehow. I wonder if there's any point in this uh, mission where they realize that they're not in charge of this airplane. If they're concerned about it, they certainly don't show it. So then at the end, we learn that Gulliver doesn't know how to restore everything to normal size, which seems like a very, a very Professor Pepperwinkle thing to do. For those of you who remember Pe Professor Pepperwinkle from The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves, he was often able to uh, create a problem with his inventions, but he didn't always know how to solve it. Except for one time when the plot demanded it. So everybody's restored to normal size. And this episode is coming to an end as Green Arrow goes back on his mission to Africa. And this episode will end with a bad joke about how Marvin's basketball team, which is now taller than everyone, than everyone only plays girls teams now. Which is kind of a sexist joke, but it gets a laugh out of all the characters, despite not being very funny. That was a bad episode, and I just felt myself zoning out sometimes. I'll be honest, I felt myself zoning out a little bit as I was uh, recording this uh, particular episode. So, that being said, next time I'm going to finish the first season of Super Friends with episode 15 and 16, The Planet Splitter, and The Watermen. So, if you have any thoughts on anything I've talked about, please uh, email me at manofscreen at gmail.com and let me know what you think of the show. You can also... If you want to join the conversation in the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. Also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So, until next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, 
please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. <laughs>